And y'all have picked a great day to be in the house of the Lord. It, it, I'm really excited and like giddy for our guest speaker that we have today. Uh, before I ask him to come up here, I just want to introduce him and give, give honor where honor is due. So y'all, we are really blessed this morning to have a mighty man of God. Uh, I think you have heard me use this term, uh, generals in the faith. And this man who's going to come and speak to us this morning is one of those generals. Any military folks in the house? A couple of you? Uh, this is like a five-star general. <laughs> uh, what do you do for five-star generals? You respect them. You give them honor. So I, I, I know y'all are going to do that, but I hope and pray y'all are anticipating and excited for what he's gonna, God is going to speak through him. And let me just say a few things about him. He is actually the head of NRP, which is the Network of Related Pastors, which we are a part of, if you didn't know that. It is a part of about 50 churches, 50 churches in the country. So he oversees all of those churches. He is a busy man. He's a busy man. He has a heart not just for, for the church and for people. He's really a pastor's pastor. He, he loves to see and raise up pastors. Uh, he's a pastor's pastor. He loves his heartbreaks for the unborn. Uh, pastor Keith has been arrested over 50 times for Jesus Christ. All my celebrate folks are like, come on, Jesus. <laughs> Anybody been arrested? Be honest. I have. You know what? But I was only arrested for the devil. I haven't been arrested for Jesus yet. Somebody say yet. Yet. If the world keeps trending the way it's trending, it's going to probably happen. Yeah. So he's been arrested over 50 times for the sake of Jesus Christ, four times in other countries. <laughs> Some of y'all be like, you can arrest me in my country. You get arrested in another country, they might not let you out. But praise God they let him out. And he's here to speak to us this morning. So y'all stand up. Give Pastor Keith Tusi a big, warm welcome. Come and preach hey. the word, sir. Okay. <laughs> Amen. What an introduction, huh? Oh, my goodness. I don't know if I want to meet that guy or not. God's good. God's good. I think, do we have that slide, uh, the NRP slide? No? We do? Okay. Oh, okay. I'm looking back there and it's over there. Okay, great. Okay, let's look over here. So this is a way you can get connected to something we're doing with all our churches. I, I do want to give a special attention to that youth camp because uh, you guys just talked about it. You know, we talk about the next generation, so one of the things NRP does is we do an over-the-top Holy Spirit-intensive youth camp that people get radically affected by. So, number one, get your kids there, but think about, do you have cousins, nephews, neighbors, people that say, you know, if you made a little bit of investment, maybe write a scholarship for somebody, but this is a life-changing event that we pour a lot into and uh, you will not be disappointed if you get somebody to go. And then our Bob meeting is called the Band of Brothers. We get the guys from the network all together. Our, our last meeting, I think we had almost 500 guys ready. It was a blowout. We're doing two this year, one close to you in, Nor in the New Orleans area. But guys, I, I just would say if you're serious about going forward, then this is something. There will be 24 workshops, seven main speakers. Pastor Keith will be uh, one of the main speakers at this. So it's going to be a, a great gathering. And then there's some other things you do. I drop a weekly podcast every Monday. It's about a 12-minute podcast. Any app you go to will have it. It's called uh, Leadership in Context with my name. Uh, we've got some newsletters that go out. And the 1090 Initiative is we're, we're connecting kingdom businessmen across the country to do kingdom business. Actually, four of the workshops 
at the Bob Conference will be on kingdom business. So this is just a, a great equipping way to get you together. If you want information or get on those, uh, those lines where they send you that information, just text your uh, contact data to that number, and they'll be glad to connect you to those. You'll get some information that will come back to you. All righty? Sound good? Amen. Well, it's good to be with you. I was so excited to come here when I heard that uh, Pastor Keith had uh, made provision for me to come down to Holly Pond. So I'm so glad to be in Holly Pond today. Amen. To see your faces. I prayed for you. I feel like I know a little bit of what's going on here, but it's, it's great. This is, uh, this is my bread and butter. I love being when churches are starting and getting their culture and their DNA together. I mean, you know, the future is just so amazing, and you get to write the history. You right now here today, you know, I'd always, we, we plan a church, as you know, so I'd always say to our first group, you decide what's going to happen 20 years from now. You become the new normal. If we're radical, they'll be radical. If we're intense, they'll be intense. If we're committed, if we're holy, if we're sacrificial, whatever we are, they will become. That will be their new normal. Amen? So we get the chance to write the script as you listen to your pastor's heart, and, and they pour out, and they say, you are contributing to something way beyond you. How amazing is that, that we get to write tomorrow's history just by our obedience and our connection today. So, I mean, you know, sometimes we get caught up in our own lives. I get it. I understand that I got a life to get caught up into too. And I got other people helping me do that. And I got eight kids, 14 grandkids. So, uh, and a wife that is, uh, all seeing and all knowing. So, uh, you know, I have a lot to get caught up in. So, but you know, we got to remember what the future looks like. Amen. So I want to talk to you about that today, all right? So I want you to go to 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter. We're going to go verses 1 through 9. And I guess if I was going to give this a title, I would say that your opposition is masqueraded by your opportunity, okay? That the enemy uh, wants to masquerade uh, your opportunity as opposition. The two really go together. The Bible teaches that both by narrative and by doctrine, okay? So let's just read those first uh, seven verses or nine verses from uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 16. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send with them letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. 1 Corinthians 16.9 has kind of become one of my life verses. There is a wide and effective door but there are many adversaries. Now, let me just give you the context of what's happening here. 
The church in Jerusalem is under some financial stress. There's a famine that's happened. They're experiencing some persecution. So the apostle writes to the churches and says, look, we got, we got, a, we got a fellowship there, one of our connected churches, and they need your help. So we want you to get some money ready so when we get there, we don't have to go around and ask. You'll already be ready for us. You'll already be prepared for this opportunity. You know, NRP, like, that's part of what we do. We connect churches, and, and sometimes there's churches that have needs. You know, we've had churches that have been flooded. We've had churches hit by hurricanes. We've had churches that have had property deals come up out of the clear blue, and we were able to say, just sign the papers. We'll take care of it. You know, God, and we just send a letter out to everybody, and your church always responds, and we, we just get it done somehow. You know, that's how, that's how we do kingdom. That's how we do life. We got that from the Bible. That's what they did. So, so we just, do, so that's what the apostle Paul's talking about. But then he starts talking about, listen, I, I want to come see you, and I, don't, I just don't want to do a drive-by, you know, kind of like I'm doing today. <laughs> he says, I just want to come and really hang out with you for a couple. I want to spend the winter with you. Maybe he was from the north. I don't know. I want to come spend the winter with you and, and hang out with you, and uh, we're going to do some ministry. He said, but I got a couple things I got to do first. I got to go to Macedonia. He said, I, I'm in Ephesus, and, and there's a great and effectual door set before me. So what I, where I want to go today with this is I want to give you the Bible definition of what the Apostle Paul called an open door. It might surprise you, his version of an open door. Uh, I'd say I think there's a lot of believers that are caught up in the open door distortion. In other words, they think that if God is in something, that it's going to be easy. I hear, I hear people tell stories like, and the Lord was in it, and the Lord opened the door, and he just rolled it across. I thought, man, I want to be like that someday. That just never seems to happen to me. As a matter of fact, when I read the Bible, I, I can't find anybody in the Bible it happened to either. You know, So I want those people to lay hands on me and let that happen to me. But you know, all those people that we emulate in the Bible and we preach and we talk about, I want you to think about it. Every time they moved in obedience, they were facing I mean, just name a person. I mean, and sometimes it wasn't just circumstance. A lot of times it was people that there were opposition. And the Apostle Paul is certainly talking about that here. I mean, Abraham had to deal with Lot, right? You know, King David had to deal with Saul. Yeah, for sure. You know, Moses had his in-laws he had to deal with, right? Come on, you can laugh. Your wife won't hit you. Don't worry about it. At least she won't hit you in public. You might get you in the car, you know. You know, my mother-in-law just went to be with the Lord. She was 93 years old, and she lived with us for the last two years of her life. Very, very godly woman, and she was quite a character. And I was, I was preaching in her church one time. It was a larger, kind of more formal church, you know, and, and I was preaching there. And, and I said, Moses' disobedience cost him 40 years with his in-laws. And she yelled back, it was no picnic for them either. <laughs> that, and she lived with me. Can you imagine? I'd go in, I'd aggravate her and tell her things, and I'd tell her all the time, Elaine, you're just not a good cook. She'd laugh. I said, no, really, you're bad, honest, you know. She'd say, can I cook something? I said, no, you're not allowed to cook anything here, you know. But we had, we had a good time, you know, amen. Uh, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is that those are not romantic stories. The Apostle Paul, on the eve of his execution, said this to his son in the faith, Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier. And the best way to get knocked off course in life is to be surprised when hard things happen. That's called an ambush, and you always lose a battle in an ambush. Okay? So we got to understand that hardship is part of life. Hardship is part of ministry. 
And if we're surprised by that, if we have romantic views of that, then we're going to get knocked off course. So what we've got to do is we've got to look at people that are where we want to be, and we want to emulate them and learn from them. As a young pastor, I had a very prosperous businessman in my church, and I stopped by to see him at his place of business one day. And he called me in the back room, and he said, like, I, you know, what, what's wrong with these people? I said, John, what people? He said, you know, these Christian people. He said, these people that come in here, and they expect something for nothing. He said, do they think this business just fell out of heaven that just landed here? He said, don't they get it? And he went on. He gave me the litany, how many families they were responsible, how many hours they put in, how they almost lost their house in the building. You know, like this, like this didn't just happen. There was sacrifice. There, were, there was hardship. He said, don't they get it? I said, no, John, they don't get it. You've got to teach them that. That's our rule. That's our job is to teach people that they will have hardship. And in spite of that hardship, they can be victorious. They can be happy. They can be joyful. They can be fruitful in the midst of that. That God has called us to be soldiers in the kingdom of God and not just spectators. The reason our culture is in a crisis is because we have a church that has been spectators and not been engulfed. We've not been soldiers and we've, we've seen hardship and thought, what in the world? was happening. And God wants to prepare for that. I believe with the prophets we're hearing that there is going to be revival, that there is going to be reformation. But I'm telling you right now, it's going to come in a different form than a lot of people think. Okay? Okay? You know, we talked about me being in jail. I was in jail in the Soviet Union, okay, in, in, in the early 80s. And, uh, but you know what? That jail stay prepared me for what was going to happen next. That, that was, that was a, a different form of Bible school than I expected to be in. But, but when revival broke out, when the Iron Curtain fell, like in 87, 88, when people, as my friend Dick Batchel says, were getting saved by the acres, when we couldn't get buildings big enough to get people into, you know what? I had credibility with those people because I had been where they had been. You know, the first meeting I went to in the Soviet Union, I'm driving in a little bus, little little minivans they had, you know, and there are three teenage girls in that, in that van with us, and all of those girls had spent time in jail for teaching Sunday school classes. And I'm walking into a meeting, I thought, I don't know if I signed up for this or not. This is not exactly what the plan looked like. You know, God interrupts your plan. You know what I tell people all the time? The first thing God does is God saves you from your sin. Now, we know that part. But you know the next thing he saves you from? Yourself. He saved even your good self, your nice self, because left to ourself, we'll be about our self. And so God gives us opportunities, and those opportunities are hidden behind doors. And the way I have found those doors in my life is I look where the opposition is and think, okay, that must be the will of God. I got that from the Bible. I got it from my life. And I am, I, you know, when I hear people that it was so easy for them, I think, man, I, so, you know. So here's what I want to tell you. When you're facing hardship, it doesn't mean you're in sin. When you're facing hardship, when, when you believe God's put a business enterprise in your heart and you're plot and you're trying, just because you're being resisted, that doesn't mean you're in sin. When you're trying to have a holy marriage and raise holy kids and things are not going according to plan, hello, that doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. That means what you're after is precious and it's worth fighting for. And you've got to mow down those enemies and say, I'm coming through that door. You know, there are some doors in your life, my friend, that you got to put your shoulder into. Are you with me? You just don't wave at that door and say, open sesame. You go through that door in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus, by the way, said, I am the door. Come on now. Amen. Listen, one of the greatest privileges as a spirit-filled believer 
is to develop a spirit-filled life where you are led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is jealous when circumstances are making their decision in your life. Do you understand that? We all have circumstances. And we've got to come to a place in our life as we grow and we mature in God say, what do you want me to do? That circumstance almost always will disagree with that. At least I'm just telling you. Maybe you don't want to hang around me because that's how my life flows. It's like, okay, we're going to do this, but this is doing this. I'm not doing what the this says. I'm doing what the who says, the he says. Amen. And that's the direction that God wants us to go in. And it's important that we just don't applaud that. We're not spectators in that, but that we pursue that. You know, uh, Pastor Ian talked about NRP, you know, and I share with you, but do you know how NRP came to be birthed? In a jail cell in Atlanta, Georgia in 1988. I met a guy by the name of Rod Aguilar. We'd never met, our, we'd never met in our life before. Didn't even, I didn't even know anybody from Louisiana, I don't think. But we were prophetically called there together during the Democratic National Convention to make a stand for life and to prophesy for life. We weren't breaking any laws. We weren't doing anything bad. We were preaching to those delegates, and they didn't want to hear what we had to say. So they locked us up. They threw us in jail together. What a great plan! <laughs> Can I just tell you, that wasn't our plan. That wasn't what I signed up for. That wasn't what I went to Atlanta for. And I, you know, let me tell you, the devil's got to be pretty stupid to throw a bunch of Holy Ghost guys in a jail cell together. So, well, you shouldn't say the devil's stupid. Listen, the devil got thrown out of heaven. Hello? He's, he's mean. He's ruthless. He's a deceiver. You better be on guard. But you've got more power than he does. So what happened in that jail cell is we preached and prayed and prophesied to each other. We left that jail cell more committed to Jesus, more committed to the work of God. We had new friends. We were part of a, a new army together. And over the years, we formed relationships and other people come along like your pastor said, hey, can I be a part of that? We said, come on in, brother. Amen. Yeah. And, and that's how this thing got birthed. It wasn't our idea. God put us in a jail cell, shook up that bag, and that's what came out of it. Amen. And as, I, and as I've looked at my life, I've thought, Lord, this is a scary pattern. This, this keeps happening to me. Listen to me. Listen, listen. You are sitting here today. Let's have a reality check. You are sitting here today because somebody somewhere in the space of time believed it was worth their inconvenience, it was worth their investment, it was worth being mis misunderstood, it was worth suffering for that the church could be built. Now, you may not be able to trace that line, but there was somebody somewhere, somehow, that gave their life for the gospel that we freely enjoy today, and that there is something in our deposit that God wants us to invest in the future. Amen. Amen. We need, listen, church, we need a reality check. The church in America is on a, a luxury liner instead of a battleship right now, okay? And we're, and we're making tours, doing, you know, little, little vacation drops, and God has a destination where he wants to get us to, and he wants everybody all hands on deck, amen? He wants a battle station's mentality because there's been a lot that's been given to us. And if we are going to break through, and we are in Jesus' name, there is going to be opposition. Amen. The opponents of the faith are not going to applaud us. They're not going to stand up and clap. That's not how it's worked. It didn't work then. That's not how it worked in history. It's not how it worked in the Bible. It's not how it's worked anywhere in the world in Jesus' name, you know? 
My first encounter with this was I was pastoring a church in Pittsburgh, and we were doing great. God was pouring out His Spirit, a lot of young people getting saved, and God really dealt with us about the life issue because I was dealing with all these young ladies that had, had abortions. I, w- I, always saw, I was pro-life by conviction, but I was pro-choice by default because I never really did anything about it. But when I started you know, seeing the, the living tragedy, the other end of it, it became so personal. So we got invo- involved and we started going out in the street and, you know, we were having a great impact and, you know, the, the media was saying all kind of nice things about us. Not. I mean, we were called terrorist. We were called fundamentalist. <laughs> I guess that's supposed to be bad. I thought that's great. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You know, they said these people think they hear from God. That's what they said. Yeah, yeah we do. Hallelujah. <laughs> we were actually guilty of a lot of things they accuse us of. Yeah, hallelujah. Count me in. Pray for me that I get worse. Hallelujah. <laughs> My kids would say to me, Dad, can you just like tone it down a little bit? I said, no. Pray for me that I get worse. Hallelujah. They'd finish the sentence. I know what you're going to say. So one night I get a call from a reporter. Reverend Tusi? Yeah, Saturday night at my home. What do you think about the lawsuit that's been filed against you? What lawsuit? Oh, it's a Rico suit. I said, Rico, doesn't he play shortstop for the Boston Red Sox? No, Rico, racketeering, influencing, and corrupt organization. A federal civil rights lawsuit. Okay, it was a mafia statute. And they were filing it against our church. The first time in America that had ever been used against a church, okay? You know why? Because they thought they could intimidate us. It was, we were having an effect. And what they said was, we were ruining their ability to make a living. So they admitted it was about money. But I'm just going to tell you, we prevailed in Jesus' name. God, like we didn't have, I mean, hundreds, they had lawyers that we did, we had nothing. I mean, I started calling around saying, they said, listen, this is going to cost you a million dollars to defend this lawsuit. That's what I was, that was the first voice I got. I said, oh, great, I'll just write a check, you know. But, but I'm telling you, as we stood and refused to buy, lawyers came out of the woodwork. We assembled this unbelievable legal team and just buried them, and we prevailed in Jesus' name. And out of that opposition, God gave us a bigger voice in our city. Hallelujah. So we, even to this day, we have, great, we have a great voice in our city, okay? And out of that, I got calls from people, oh, would you come here? Would you, you know? So that's how you, that's how you do this. You just go to jail, you get sued, you get beat up a few times, and it's very easy, okay? Anybody want to join up? Listen, there is a great and effectual door, and there are many adversaries. That's how it works. So I want to walk you through Paul's version of an open door, okay? So let's do that. He said, I'm in Ephesus. I get an open door. He had been in Macedonia. He wants to go back. He said, I'm going to come and spend some time with you. By the way, I literally took my calculator out and got the map out. and It's almost exactly 1,000 miles, like 900 and just a few miles short of 1,000 miles. And of course, in that time, you know, to travel 1,000 miles is not like me. I'm going to jump on an airplane today, and I'll cover 1,000 miles in a couple hours, literally. That would take them months to do that, you know. I mean, just picture camel rides and ship rides. And I mean, I followed, I charted, I mean, you got to take a boat here, go across land, take a boat here, get another camel. Camels were before Ubers, just for the record, okay? So you get a one humper or two humper, I guess, depending on how far you had to go, you know. Whatever it was, I, I don't know. But, but he was committed to doing it, okay? So let's go back here to the book of Acts and Acts 16 
And I'm going to pick it up in verse 16 in their trip in Macedonia. And I want to show you what the apostle Paul meant when he said there's a great and effectual door and there are many adversaries. So in Acts 16, we'll just pick it up in 16. You ought to read the whole chapter when you go home, and you can read the book of Philippians because it corresponds with this, okay? It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out at that very moment. But when her master saw that the hope of their prophet was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. So they were getting them on the religious side, they were getting them on the governmental side. And the crowd rose up and applauded them. The crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, we know the story that God supernaturally intervenes. Okay? Now, let me just do, do a little background here. There is no such thing as pre-grace, okay? First comes obedience, then comes grace. I think a lot of times believers get paralyzed. They have a good idea, maybe even a God idea. Maybe God moves on your heart. You get moved with compassion. You, there's a, a brewing conviction in your heart, and you think, man, if I just had the time, if I just had the, the, the ministry experience, There's probably nothing I've done that I ever felt qualified to do, and that's an honest statement. But by the grace of God. Are you with me? Grace is not divine slack. It's divine power. And I think there's this romantic thinking, well, if God just dumps this grace on me, then, then I'll go and do it. You know? That's not how it works. It's when you take that step of obedience, that's when the grace and the power of God hits you. And that's what changes you from being a worldly Christian to a kingdom Christian. Because once you taste that, listen to me, I got ruined for the world. When the power of God begins to hit your life and you begin to live in a supernatural dispensation of seeing God's... You, listen, you know how frail I know how frail I am. I, I know everything I'm not. I spend time with me, okay? I know everything I'm not, but I know who he is. And I know that grace. When we went to the Soviet Union the first time, we had planned this thing for a long time. It, in, in those days, it took almost a year even to get a visa to get in. And it was very complicated and... You know, there's a lot of details there. But we were getting on that ship because we were sailing from Helsinki into the Baltic states because it was easier to get through passport and customs control and because we, we were carrying contraband material. We were carrying Bibles and Concordians on microfilm. 
okay? And uh, so it was a whole big detail. And so as we're getting on that ship, you know, uh, I look up at that smokestack, and there's this giant hammer and sickle, the biggest one I've ever seen in my life. And I grabbed Aaron, one of the elders in our church, is with me. I said, Aaron, this is a Soviet boat. And he said, that's because we're going to the Soviet Union. <laughs> and all of a sudden it hit me, this is not a great ministry strategy. This is my life, all right? And I'm just telling you, at that point is where the grace of God hit me. Up till then it was a great plan, but I knew at that point I was over my head. It's okay to be over your head if you know who the head is. Amen? <laughs> I'm constantly over my head. That's why it works so good. <laughs> All right? The God is good. So, you know, this is a great church planning strategy, isn't it? Go into town, you preach, you get thrown in jail, they rip your clothes off, they beat you up, they put you in prison. Gee, let's, let's replicate that. Let's go do that again. Right? There is a great and effectual door. And so Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and saying there's a great and effectual door set before me. And by the way, I'm going back to Macedonia because we had so much fun the last time. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's not a romantic view of ministry. If you will understand in Holly Pond right now why God has you here, the strongholds he wants to break, the deposit he wants to put here, what he wants to do here, not just with your current people, but generations from now, they'll say, you know what those people did? They obeyed God. And you will get your, you will get your opportunity. As you move in the Spirit, God is going to show you doors, and as soon as he shows you doors, there will be opposition. And it may be in the form of persons, it may be in the form of government, it may be in the form of lack of resources, it may be in the form of in personal intimacy. It could be in the form of anything. But you've got to understand, that's where the will of God is. There is a great and effectual door set before me, and there are many adversaries. Now this story is not complete unless you jump ahead a few verses. So let's jump ahead a few verses to verse 40. And that is simply this. And they went out of prison. So now they've been in prison. You know, they, they've gotten out. God miraculously got them out of jail. Okay? And they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia when they saw the brethren they encouraged them. So we know that Lydia prior to this is defined as a seller of purple. She probably, uh, scholars think she probably had a regional business to be identified, by the way. A very prosperous businesswoman in this community. And so... She identifies with these people that have been identified with Jesus, that have been put in jail, that have been beat up, and everything else. And she opens her heart, she opens everything up, and she identifies with them. She puts everything on the line for them. Isn't that incredible? That's the type of courageous people we're going to have to have. One of the reasons I believe that the business culture in the kingdom is so important is because I believe businessmen in the community and businesswomen in the community can really set a standard of some things that happen. And, you know, there's probably going to come a day where they say, you know, we're not going to do this or we're not going to do that. That day is upon us, I think, right now in some very, some very real form. If you listen to what we talked about yesterday, you can get a glimpse into that at the seminar that we did. But Lydia is a hero. Okay, because she understood what was at stake. She realized it wasn't hers to risk, it was what God gave her. You know, it's real easy not to be afraid if you remember you have nothing to lose. Honestly, is everything really his? Does he really own you? And when we come to that place and say, you know, I really don't have anything to lose because it, it all belongs to you, I'm not saying that's easy, okay? But what I'm saying is 
you've got to understand that you're never going to get pre-grace to do that. That's current grace. That's daily manna, okay, that you've got to have, that you've got to move in. And that's what happened right there. Now, let's jump ahead to the Ephesus story because he says, hey, you know, that's, that, I'm, I got this other open door. It's remarkable how similar these stories are in different places with different people. So let's jump over to Acts 19 and pick, pick the story up at verse 23. About the same time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. That was one of the names of the church in the day. They called him the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. What a message, right? I mean, think about how right. This guy is teaching people that they can't make a god, that they can't buy. He's persuading people everywhere. What a reputation. But there was people that didn't like that. They wanted to stop that reputation. Do not be surprised when you are misjudged for your good deeds, okay? They, they, listen, they accused Jesus. The Bible says, Jesus said, a servant is not above his master. You know, and I was talking about that businessman, John, and, and, and uh, talking about how you've got to teach them that this is how you got there. You know, that same thing applies here. We've got, we've got to remember how we got there. We've got to learn from people that have been there. That's why these historical examples are given to us in the Scripture so that we would not be ambushed, that we would not fall asleep at the switch. You understand that if there are things that God has ordained, that we need to treat them with dignity. We need to treat them with the grace of God. We need to move in faith towards them, that they're not necessarily going to become easy even though they're right to do. Amen? And I know in my life, it seems like the clearer it is, the more opposition I get. The more obvious it is to me, the more obvious it must be to the devil, too, because he seems to be wanting to fight for that. You know, I believe God has plan A, the local church. I believe that's God's plan. Now, if you really believe that, then you have to believe that the enemy is going to do everything he can to stop you from being prosperous. He don't care if you show up, you have a few folks, you, you have a good worship service and hear a good message and go home. He'll leave you alone if that's all it is. But when you start penetrating your culture, when you start reaching your family and your friends and your neighbors, when you start standing up in your business and on your vocation, and you start testifying, when you come against evil that's being propagated in your community because you're obligated to speak for Jesus, they're probably not going to applaud you, okay? Uh, when it happens, that's nice, but that doesn't happen a lot. Because you're doing something that Jesus did. We don't have to have a persecution complex, but we do have to have a purpose complex where we're pursuing the will of God. This is what we're going to do. We are called to be his church. We belong to him. This is not our church. This is his church. I tell people all the time, you can't have a church. They're too expensive. You've got to die to get one. 
Okay, we belong to his church. This isn't our church. He's he's the captain of our salvation. He's the commander in chief. Amen. Can I get an amen here? This is his church. We've got to understand. Yeah, we get benefit. We get great fellowship. Our children get ministry. We get to participate in world missions. You know, we get to do life and share. I mean, there are tremendous benefits for being part of the church. Okay, but there is the work of the ministry that he's called us to do to reach our neighbors, to reach our community, to network with other people, to reach the world. Hallelujah. You know, I shared uh, with somebody today somewhere along the line, I don't know if it was one of my messages or not, but you know, at our, at our Bob conference the last few years, we take, we take a, uh, an offering for world missions. You know, a bunch of guys getting together. They've taken time off work. You know, they, they've paid a conference fee. They're staying in a hotel. They've already spent a little bit of money. And we've taken three offerings in the last three years. You know where we're at? A few dollars shy of $100,000. And every, Yeah, amen. And, and yes, absolutely. That, that's tremendous. I don't know about you. That's a lot of money in my life. And every single penny that went right to the mission field. No overhead, no cost. I mean, we got rid of that money so quick. It was like, I don't want to. That's God. That's holy money. We're going to do that. But I mean, that's something that we can, we're, we're remembering our purpose. This is what we're called to do. It's not just about convenient living. It's not just about the blessing of Christian principles. It's about reaching out to people that don't have the blessings that we have to hear the gospel in Jesus' name. What an opportunity. What, when we stand before the Lord, you know, that's, he's going to call it. That's going to be, that's going to be a, a great one. Are, are you with me? That's so important. That's so important that we understand that. That's why we're called together. That's why Paul's saying, listen, I got to go do this. I got to connect. He was seeing something bigger. How did he endure this suffering? How did he endure this misrepresentation? I think you'd agree with me with this statement. There's probably nothing more personally painful than being misrepresented and lied about. And I want you to think about Jesus for a minute, who was completely sinless, the only ever loved to the last degree and the names and the things they accused him of. Why would we ever think that if we followed him, some of that would not happen to us? Yet so much of the church today recoils at just the fear of somebody saying something bad about them. They say, well, we got to be careful not to spoil our reputation. I, you know, I correct them. I say, you're wrong. I said, no, we have to lose our reputation, and we've got to identify with Jesus, and we've got to be stewards of his reputation to represent him well. What good is it if they think well of us, and we haven't represented Jesus right? We have corrupted the gospel. I understand the heart. I understand the thinking, but that doesn't make it biblical. If we do the right thing, there will be opposition in our own personal lives, and we've got to own that. And then as a church, we've got to own that too. You will have, in the history of this church, there is going to be a great opportunity and the enemy is going to provide great opposition. I pray that you are the people that build the foundation that when that opportunity comes, that people, and it might be you, arise up to that challenge. Hallelujah. Whether you're in heaven applauding or you're on earth praying that you are going to be going through that thing. So, so here we have it again. What verse did I leave off on? I got, I got excited and got off my verse there. What verse was I in? Verse 30? No, I wasn't down that far. Okay. 26. And you see in here not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia. That's where I was at. Thank you. This Paul was persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying gods may be made not God made with hands or gods at all. 
Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, which of course it is, and she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. God has called us to dethrone the false gods without a doubt. When they heard this, they were filled with rage they began crying out, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Artechaeus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Wait a minute, stop right there. These guys were in Macedonia, and Paul said, oh, let's go ahead, let's go do this again. And they did. <laughs> so, what did they know? What were their values? What You know, they experienced the power of God. Yeah. Listen to me. When that happens in your life, you get ruined for the world. You just don't fit in anymore like you used to. Amen. You don't have to worry about being conformed. You've tasted something now that is so great. And then in verse 30 says, when Paul wanted to go back, the disciples say, hey, look, you, you can't go back in there. That's what he defined as an open door. There's a great and effectual door set before me, but there are many adversaries. This is the story in this book. The people that God highlights in this book all seem to have the same thing. Isn't it interesting, the story we read in uh, Ephesus and the story we read in Macedonia, which were two completely different cultures, the playbook is almost the same against them, isn't it? A group of people rise up, they attack them, they try to physically intimidate them, they try to silence them, they threaten them, they beat them up, they lock them up, they think that will stop it, and they said it, it explodes it. Yeah. Amen. Are we that people? Yeah. Are we willing to be that people? Say, God, if that's a ship you want me to be on, I'm going to believe you. When I put my foot in that gangplank, somehow, some way, the grace of God is going to hit me and carry me, not on my own power, not on my own resume, in Jesus' name. Listen, greater is he that is in you then he that in his world is not a nice verse to quote. It's a way to live. Amen. As you make yourself available to the purpose and the presence of God. If there is something that's important to you, your walk with the Lord, your relationships, your marriage, your children, your family, your vocation, your business, your nape, just whatever it is, that value comes from God. And the enemy wants to resist that. And there will be an effective door. Paul said, there were 12 guys there. See, we think big, God thinks effective. Amen? Just obedience. Just obedience. And when we respond in obedience, that's when the grace of God comes. I want to encourage you today. Be courageously obedient. Don't be afraid of being afraid. Don't be afraid of hardship. Greater is he that's in you than he is in the world. God in you, the Jesus in you, is up for what he puts in front of you. Let him rip. Let him live out of you. Stand up with me this morning if you would. Can we do that? Am I concerned about what's happening in your world? Oh, man, I'm concerned. I'd lie to you if I don't say I don't stay up some nights and I don't wake up early with things on my heart and mind. I, I, 
I'd be a lie if I told you otherwise. But I know that God has a plan. Amen. That's right. It's his church. Yeah, it is. It's plan A. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Yeah, that's right. Amen. That's this place. He was talking about Holly Pond. Yeah, Did you know that? He was talking about Holly Pond. What an incredible opportunity you have to be part of a foundation that God is going to do something that is so great. Amen? Amen. And he's going to use you. The fact that God is going to do something great is not a surprise. The surprise is he's going to use you to do it. Hallelujah. That's my surprise. I'm all, listen, I'm always the most surprised guy. <laughs> like, wow, did you see that? Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Always the most surprised guy. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands with me. I just want to encourage you today. Just, just if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you go to church, maybe you're flirting with the Lord, but you're not, you're not married, you're not, you're not committed. I beg you in Jesus' name, give your, he paid for your whole life. Just give him what he paid for. He knows everything about you and wants you anyway. He's the only one like that, okay? Just today, yield your whole life to him. If you're a believer and you've tasted of his spirit, I just want to encourage you. Don't let circumstances drive your life. Don't let fear, intimidation drive your life. Be led by the spirit of God. There is a great and effectual door in your life. I know that because he loves you and he bought you. Every person, there is a great and effectual door. And there are many adversaries. Receive that in the name of Jesus. Just receive that in the name of Jesus. Lord, let her be a door breaker. Let her be a door breaker, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Is anybody here this morning that has a door in your life that you really think is an important door? It's important to you. That you, that you want to go through with God's power and God's help. And I'd, I'd love to lay hands on you. Just ask God to, to stir up your spirit and get ready for that in Jesus' name. I'd love to see the Lord just impart something in you this morning that won't make it easy, but will make it obvious in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you, just jump out of your seat right now and run up here. And I'd love, I'd count it a privilege to pray with you this morning in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Anybody else, I believe there's more than one person that applies to. Hallelujah. This is a Pharisee-free zone. This is no place uh, to, to hold back and go home and say, man, I, sh- I should have I got the bread while it was hot and hot in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just throw ourselves at the mercy of God this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Vraso to boshikia sata Rando soko zoto toto bo soko sata Hallelujah Hallelujah
Hallelujah. Samantha, you've learned in the last year what it means to be a mother, to birth things. God's got some outrageous things in you. They're going to have to be birthed. They'll even sound crazy even when you tell yourself them, let alone other people. But if you'll let the Lord birth those things in you, if you'll feed them, if you'll nurture them, if you'll care for them, if you'll endure the pain and even the day of expectation, just like you did for that little boy in Jesus' name, God's going to bring some great things to birth in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. I call the outrageous forth in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you for supernatural grace. God, thank you for a capacity increase, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, God. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Stir up, stir up, stir up. God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for Kelly. God, I pray you strengthen her grip, God. And Lord, more than that, Lord, she feels the grip of you on her life, God, that you don't know how to let her go. Because you've never done that before, God. You've never let anybody go, God, in Jesus' name, God. God, she would feel the safest when she's the most possessed by you, God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Kelly, I feel like the Lord wants to dangle you. I don't know how else to say it. I just see this picture. You know, and it's not a comforting picture, but it's an exciting picture. Let the Lord dangle you. Just be so sure of his grip that you're not afraid to fall in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it's not your resume. It's his history. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank anybody else. Now's your time. Come on. I'm not going to hang around. In the name of Jesus, Spirit of God, Spirit of God, in Jesus' name, I pray for this man of God, in the Jesus' name, that you stir him up, God. Hallelujah. Lord, that anything that the world tries to get him to be content on, he will spit it out, God. He will spit it out, God. Anything that is not the real thing that he does not want, God. Even things he's chased after and desired, now he's got them, God. They would not satisfy, God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, but being used by you. Being used by you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Give him wisdom. Give him vision. Give him direction, Lord, to see that effective door, God. Not a big door, an effective door, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Not to be surprised, God. I pray you put the ministry of encouragement on his life, Lord. God, that he'll be the man that will admonish people, God, to go through that door, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen, Lord. Amen. Amen. 
here's the good news. Jesus said he would not leave us comfortless. He'd leave the helper to help us. And right now, there's men around you, and that's the picture God wants you to see, that he's not called you to do anything alone. He's called you to be connected. And you need to get with some of these guys and say, Lord, how, how do you walk through this? You know, Not just look at that finished product, so to speak, but say, how did you go through the process? You're going to find out they're going to have some life lessons for you. And G open your heart, be vulnerable, ask, be a learner. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Thank you for the grace to endure hardship as a soldier, as a true soldier, as a soldier. Not, not a circumstantial server, but a God server. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Roko frasa. Rabo sutu bo siti asata. Rambo sutu robasata. Lord, Lord, God, Lord. Lift up the sails in his life. God, move him by the wind of your Holy Spirit, I pray. God, in the name of Jesus. Let him be a man that's moved by your Spirit, God. That's where he gets his directives, God. I pray in the name of Jesus, God. Lord, help him to be a man who's not afraid of adversaries, God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. God's good. God is good. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Pastor? Man, who's glad you came to church today? Mm, thank you, Pastor P, I think we should just order some pizzas and just, just stay and keep doing church. <laughs> some of y'all are like, I don't know about that. <laughs> and Pastor Keith, thank you so much for You're coming. Welcome. We love you. Amen. Can we do something for you? Can we pray for you? Absolutely. Y'all want to extend your hands this Amen. way? Amen, I receive it. I just it. want to pray over this, this mighty man yeah, of God. Thank you, you, Lord. You know what? If, if you receive something, you can come up here. You can lay hands on too. If the Lord challenged you today. Yeah, yeah. If the Lord gave you something through this, this man, I want you to come up here and lay your hands on Thank so, you. Father God, Lord, we thank you for Pastor Keith, Lord. Holy Spirit, right now, God, I just declare a deposit, God, of refreshment. Mm -hmm. Father God, mm -hmm. that you'll continue just to fill him. God, that mm -hmm. he, he, yes. uh, he continues just to keep charging the gates of hell in Jesus' name. That only by your spirit, mm -hmm. God, can we do it, God. Lord, I thank you that he's come and, and met with us and, and preached truth to us and challenged us. Lord, I pray that he would feel the joy of the Lord today. As he leaves and hops on a plane Amen. to go do it somewhere else, Lord. Amen. Lord, send him back to us, Lord. Yes, continue to send him. God, continue to send him and mount him up on wings like eagles that he may soar, God. Continue to enlarge his territory, God. Enlarge territory of NRP. And yes, Jesus. yes. And there are Amen. lost souls that are going to come to yes. Jesus. Amen. Through NRP, God. It's all about the blood of Jesus. Lord, so I just pray the blood of Jesus before Pastor Keith. God, I thank you that you prepared a place. Mm -hmm. Lord, as he talked about open doors today, God, shut the doors that we're not supposed to walk through, God, and continue to open the doors for Pastor Keith and each and every person gathered here this morning. Are we not be afraid of the things you're calling us into? God, courage is not the absence of fear, God. It's the, the presence of your presence, God. Lord, we need to be courageous, church. Lord, maybe we are and found ourselves on a cruise liner, God. Do our lives look like a luxury cruise liner, God? Or do our lives look like a battleship prepared and ready to fight for the glory of God? That's how we take back our world, Lord.
So we love you, and we thank you. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Give Jesus a big hand this morning. Amen. Amen. So good. So good. Well, hey, we love y'all so much. Okay, y'all are dismissed. Uh, Come back and see us again next week, okay? We love you, and God bless.